Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of I Like to Read with me, your host, Rachel Polanski. Welcome back, welcome back, um, or welcome for the first time if you're a first-time listener. Um, maybe you're finding me because you listened to my conversation with uh, author Lori Faria Stolars, which will be linked in the description. I filmed that a couple of weeks ago at the time of recording, at the time of this release. Um, we may also be playing again. Uh, we may also be playing around again with the release dates. I apologize. My boyfriend slash producer is going on a much needed vacation back to his hometown, which is also coincidentally near my hometown, um, but we met not here in Los Angeles. Um, so he's taking a little bit of a vacation. And of course, I like to read. It will still be recorded. I'll still be reading. Maybe I'll be using this time to post more on social media. So that's a big shout out to make sure that if you're not already, follow me on Twitter, um, which is actually just my own Twitter, rpolanski77. I, at this time, have yet to sort of converge them into separate identities because at this point, Twitter, you know, I don't have a ton of followers, but it'd be great if you became one of them. I do have a separate Instagram, though, just for I Like to Read. I do have my Goodreads, which is I Like to Read. I have a Facebook page. I have this YouTube page. If you're watching, make sure you listen and give me a review on Apple Podcasts, especially, of course, it helps if you're subscribed on both Apple Podcasts and Spotify and YouTube, but um, our five-star review um, on Apple Podcasts really means a lot and really goes a long way, so I would really appreciate if you did that. Uh, What else is new in my world? Sprained my ankle a couple days ago. I just was going on a hike, which I do multiple times a week, usually at the same place, so I'm quite familiar with the terrain. And despite being quite familiar, that doesn't make it apparently any less susceptible to falling because... I was just I was walking actually not even on the like rougher terrain hiking part of the trail I was more just on the flat like walking part of the trail and just happened to take a little dip and fell and fell right on my ankle and I did twist my ankle quite a few times in college also I think definitely a few times in like middle school or high school just like due to sports and of course you know once you twist it once you're you're screwed there was a really bad time in college that I twisted it and that was the last time that I like had a injury that definitely, you know, like put me out of commission for a few days. Anyways, long story short, I'm really happy not only that my dad was here for the past long weekend for the 4th of July visiting when I hadn't seen him in 19 months, and that was incredibly special. So it was a little lighter on the reading. You know, it actually took me quite a few days <laughs> to finish a few books as opposed to, you know, my regular routine of one to two books every other day. Um, you know, it was like taking like 30 days to read one book, but it was awesome to spend time with him, and I was also really lucky that he was with me on that part of the hike I was able to walk after, but it was quite swollen after. You don't need to see pictures. You don't need to see it. I'm hoping at the time of this release it will be fine, and I'm hoping if not in a couple of days it will be totally fine, but I'm definitely much better now than I was. But you're not here for my feet. I hope not, but if you are, you know, maybe if that's something you're interested, we could work something out. Let me know. (laughs) But you are here for the five books that I have read this week, or the past two weeks, I guess. Um, And the first one that I'm going to be talking about is Everybody Else is Perfect, How I Survived Hypocrisy, Beauty, Clicks, and Likes by Gabrielle Korn. So this is a nonfiction memoir. As the title would state, Gabrielle Korn is a young woman who was one of the youngest editors, if not the youngest editor in chief of beauty at nylon um it's kind of crazy that i know her name has never come across considering i read nylon pretty heavily for a while um at least the online version for quite a few years during my boredom and woe and trying to find some sort of existential meaning at work i you know would peruse nylon quite a bit um so she was very accomplished she kind of rose to the um she rose among the ranks at nylon and that sort of like inadvertently led her to become this high high up position and so with you know with great power comes great responsibility so as she's 
thriving in her work life, her personal life is definitely taking a toll. Um, she is queer and out, and the relationships that she has with women are very complicated, mostly due to the fact that she also struggles with an eating disorder. And I, so you can imagine, you know, working in the fashion and beauty industry is definitely um, a hard place for anybody to work in, particularly somebody who has dealt with and or is in the process of dealing with body image issues. Um, but of course, that's, there's that facade of keeping up that everything's beautiful and perfect and always wanting the next thing and wanting to fit in with the models. And she's not like actually a model by any means, but there's definitely a lot of like Devil Wears Prada vibes in this, you know, there's that real life Devil Wears Prada with the exception that this, you're kind of getting the Miranda Priestly side of things. But if Miranda Priestly was a young queer woman who was actually definitely more of an Anne Hathaway type personality, um, but sort of like a hybrid, like maybe, you know, Emily Blunt's character, whose name is actually, I think, Emily. Um, so it's kind of, you know, the, she, as, as the Goodreads and the titles, stare, sorry, the synopsis states that she came out in the generation of the L word, which was a time when the idea of lesbianism and the idea of women as queer, you know, power bosses and uh, expanding the idea of what a queer woman was beyond just sort of like the stereotypical like butch or femme lesbians that we often place uh, women into when they are lesbian or queer. She it develops her identity and explores her own gender identity, her own relationship to her sexuality, as, as well as her ongoing many relationships with other women. So it's very candid. It's very raw. There's definitely um, also, you know, it's not a self-help book. It's not like a here's how to grow your career. But inadvertently, you know, she definitely recognizes that she's privileged and, and also lucky to have gotten where she has gotten. But also she works incredibly hard. So it's a combination of both, you know, timing and luck and talent and or, you know, all three, I guess. Um, but she's really a cool person. I'm not following her on all social media platforms because she is the kind of woman who has a story. And, you know, every woman has a story, but a story that really needs to be heard that could definitely inspire a lot of, you know, women, people who are queer, feeling like they don't belong. You know, men can enjoy this novel. Or, you know, sorry. I always want to say everything is a novel, but, you know, half the time it's a memoir or a nonfiction book. Uh, this book, because that encompasses everything, is for everybody, you know, especially a lot of the essays and memoirs that I've talked about on this podcast in the past, you know, things that come to mind are Roxanne Gay and <laughs> things that come to mind. I'm like, what have I read? And um, just, you know, I think a lot of um, a relatability in the sense that like she is around the age I am, I think a little bit older, um, but definitely just, you know, a lot while she's had <laughs> objectively and subjectively a much cooler career path than I have. It just goes to show that like, just because it looks perfect on paper doesn't mean it is perfect behind the scenes. And she's happy to sort of tear down that wall and show you her most vulnerable parts in an incredibly well-written, you know, you can see her talent shines through and just in the way that she writes as well. It's just incredibly, the story it's kind of tells itself, but it's also just so well-written in the way that she puts her heart and genuinity. That's not a word. I don't know. Maybe it is into it, you know, very good. Very nice. <laughs> and our next book, which is actually a novel, is called The Lost Shtetl by Max Gross. This came out in October 13th, 2020. So a little bit of a sleeper, you know, oh my gosh, six months ago. Um, and I discovered this because I actually, in my spare time, um, continue to run a monthly book club for the Jewish synagogue that I used to work for. And of course, I always <laughs> choose a book um, with a Jewish theme, sometimes it's a little more overt, sometimes it's a little more subtle. This one was actually recommended by a member 
of the book club. And as soon as she recommended it, I happened to see it was available at the library. So I got it, read it in a couple days, and was really impressed by it. So it's called The Lost, as I mentioned, it's called The Lost Shtetl. And it takes the idea of what happens if this small little shtetl village in Poland remains untouched by the Holocaust and then suddenly has to re-enter today's present-day world. So um, it kind of takes this mystical, supernatural, of course, you know, there's an element of believability that you have to suspend because it is virtually impossible that an entire shtetl, and we're not just talking a few Jewish people, I mean, it is sort of this mystical fairy tale village in the woods, um, and it's, they're sort of trapped in this shtetl, like, early 1900s, you know, they have mail, they don't know, sorry, I'm sorry, they don't have mail, so they have, you know, they don't have electricity, they're very, like, old-school village, but self-sustainable, um, through circumstances, a couple of the village ends up leaving. And, and then our main character, whose name is Yankel, left something, last name, what's his last name? Yankel Lewinkoff. Yeah, he's our main character. He's sort of uh, the village outcast. He is um, the kind of guy who they're sort of, <laughs> in their minds, is, you know, sparable and he's sort of dispensable. So he follows this couple out into the real world and I don't want to give away too many spoilers but it takes from there the novel takes quite a few different directions so we continue to stay with some of the residents of the town this lost shtetl um, which is named Kreskel and we see how they are adapting with the with the new with the presence of the new world and you know learning about the holocaust is certainly an element of this and you know trying to accept the fact of this great situation and understanding that like you were spared by some mysterious accident while still understanding that you know the present world may not be completely race you know you can't go from zero to 100 necessarily but there are elements that can help and whether they're the outside world and the polish government is a friend or foe foe sort of remains to be seen throughout the novel um we get to see yankel both as he sort of is you know his life in the village and the before we then get to follow him as he enters the new world and he's sort of our stand-in um he already is this other which is clearly defined from the beginning and for him to be the bridge that sort of connects this old world Kreskel to the new world specifically Poland and Eastern Europe and Yankel is just a really well-written complex character he develops a relationship um or you know some form of a relationship with multiple people throughout the novel and the way that these relationships twist and turn again because we're already in this sort of suspended disbelief alternate reality because i suppose you know the novel does lay out a pretty clear (laughs) explanation for how this could have happened i mean it's definitely not any sort of mystical brigadoon i mean it is brigadoon in the sense that all of a sudden it's come into sight to these like present day people but it's not necessarily any sort of magic it's more of like the magic of error and hindsight and foresight so it's a really cool like Twilight Zone-esque novel. I thought it was honestly going to be a little bit darker than it was. I There are some darker themes. There's definitely, you know, there's sexual assaults and sexual abuse. Um, there's a little bit of language. Um, there's a little bit of, you know, sexual graphicness to it. But there's not really a ton of, like, death. There's not a ton of, like, graphic violence beyond some of the domestic um, sex work stuff. But it's also, you know, very well written in the sense that it serves the per- the story of it serves the purpose of the story really well i was you know engrossed in this <laughs> no pun intended because the author's last name is gross i was really engrossed in this novel it's just a little over 400 pages so it is a little bit longer but when you're dealing with such a layered mystical 
fun concept and you also are dealing with the history and the the layers and the power that comes with telling this story it's no easy feat but i definitely think it was well done and if you're looking for something a little bit off the beaten path and something that you might not normally pick up but if you want to think about what would happen if there was a village that survived the holocaust and all of a sudden has to enter the present day world untouched then this is the book for you and next we are returning back to the present day. I mean, technically, I guess that was the present day to you, but it's like the past and the present. So like, again, very meta, very, very layered. But next we're, just, we're going to the present day, more or less, with uh, Sorrow and Bliss by Meg Mason. This is definitely a little bit darker. Martha, as the title would state, is not a happy character. She is filled with sorrow and bliss. We know that there is like, she's, she's always known that something is wrong with her and it's not so much something wrong with her in the sense that like oh she's clearly the devil or possessed or she has this darkness about her it's more again like a very dimension a very three-dimensional a very uh nuanced imaginative but also realistic depiction of depression and of the way that people can have their loved ones still care for them and be on the periphery of their lives and can maintain relationships while still having this internal sorrow. Um, Martha sort of carries this long-term desire to both be a mother and also is completely repulsed by the idea of being a mother. So the fact that her sister is continually having children and sort of drowning in her marriage while Martha is like unable to vocalize the way that she's feeling with that. So she takes it out on her husband and we get to see that like, you know, from the outside, we can tell that she's not making the right choices, but because she, because Martha is our narrator and because she is so self-aware but also so unable to control her actions she makes for a really fascinating portrait of um, the struggles of mental health that again people are really good at hiding inter um, you know externally but after a while that facade can only go so far and you know the extent that love and relationships and other people can be there but also the way you know how how far they're willing to go and to what limit because you know there is a limit for everybody and that limit is different and, you know, it's just, as the title states, there is a little bit of bliss. So it's not all complete depression, but it's, there's, there's levels of mania to, you know, I'm not diagnosing her. And there's not really, you know, there's hinting to pills and she goes to doctors occasionally, but it's not sort of like a mental health book. Like I said, it's much more about that sort of like malaise and un the less definable elements of depression and mental health that just because they aren't necessarily diagnosed in a DSM doesn't mean that they don't deserve recognition and at least, you know, a story to be told that portrays a woman in everyday life that not everything is perfect and maybe that's going to be okay, maybe not. You'll have to read and see. Next, we have God Spare the Girls by Kelsey McKinney. So this definitely like reminded me of a Lifetime movie, but like in all the best ways possible. And I don't mean that in the sense of the writing at all, because it definitely was very well written. I just mean in the sense that there's like two sisters and they grow up in this very religious community and their dad is sort of this like evangelical mega priest and everything is great and they're the good daughters and you can tell that like something is going to go wrong and it becomes pretty clear from the beginning of the novel that the father is having an affair and then it's how all the members of the family deal with the ramifications now for the young girls they are young teenagers they are both dealing with relationships of their own and they've sort of taken these abstinence pledges and pledge themselves to their father and the church while, you know, their own beliefs were wavering to begin with because that's a mighty 
pledge and set of beliefs to take on along with the fact that their father who is this godlike figure to not only them but this entire congregation is not the perfect man that he is but because it's a rural southern texas town and not necessarily like a coastal elite town the way that they handle the situation is very different and the girls are able to escape to this ranch that their grandmother owns for the majority of the novel so they're able to maintain this distance from their family not only an emotional distance because of what excuse me, because of what their father did to their mother and how their mother is choosing to deal with the situation and subsequently their relationship. But also the physical distance really allows the two girls to develop their own relationships and the way that their relationships with their perspective part with their respective partners from the beginning of the novel changes throughout the the course of the story as well as their relationship with their father so there's definitely a lot of you know comparisons in that sense it's a lot you know there's being a teenager sucks being a teenager is hard when you have to deal with all of this too you know conflicting faith and conflicting family relationships and conflicting sense of self it's a lot so I mean lifetime in the sense that there are sort of <laughs> those like elements of, you know, virginity and for, you know, coming of age. And it's a little soap opera-y, but I think it's intentional because also anything that sort of takes place in like a Southern evangelical situation is so far removed from anything that like I actually know that it automatically feels like lifetime-y and soap opera-y. But it's, it's a slow burn. It's not necessarily a thriller in the sense that like anybody dies or will will they or will they not, you know burn down the mansion or get the money but you know will this family come back together and if they do you know is it worth it and at what cost and who will they be when they do come back together if they do at all and last but not least excuse me for all the water breaks it's a hot one and i did remember to turn off the air conditioner this time so at least you get the better sound quality <laughs> last but not least we have filthy animals by brandon taylor so this started out at first what i thought was just a collection of short stories and then very quickly realized and also just happened to then look at the synopsis um or the you know the, the book cover summer the book jacket summary that it's a, a series of connected stories so not only are these vignettes and little short stories, <clears throat> but they feature recurring characters and they feature sort of a smaller inner community and then a larger peripheral community and the people in that smaller community, we get to see them told not just once, but at different points in their lives and different perspectives. So it's all about um, a group of young people in the American Midwest, specifically um, young creative people. Um, three of our main characters are in this like complicated love triangle. Two of them are, they're all dancers in one way or another and dealing with their relationship to the arts and whether or not that can become a feasible career is a remake is a is a long-standing story in it there is a lot of um you know different couples and different individual people on the really on the periphery i would say that there are main like triad but then there's different people that we get to see in different stories surrounded by their life i think it's just a lot of you know what it means to to want something in the very deepest sense of longing and intimacy um as the title i think is taken from that line from you know keep the cash you filthy animals from home alone which is also taken from an older film um, I think that it's very, you know, filthy animals in the sense of, like, humans really are these disgusting, filthy animals. And what does it mean to show your filth and vulnerability in the rawest sense while still being, like, somewhat grounded? Like, it's, I know that sounds very, like, scary. And, you know, sometimes when things are very raw and amorphous, it can be a little more experimental writing and, like, a little more poetic and or, you know, not as plot-focused. But I would say there's definitely still a lot of forward momentum and enough, like, captivating writing for 
people who are still maybe even turned off by short stories, this might be a good place to come because there's still a connecting thread. There's still sort of a conclusion at the end. You know, it's not like you're just, I know people's complaints with short stories are, I invested all this time in these characters just to have them die in 20 pages. So it's like, well, someone you're reading about on page five, you'll also get to know at the end, but you'll get to see different cool people in between. So with that, we have another episode. In the books for you. Let me know what you're reading as always. Make sure you follow me on all my social medias linked below. Check out my conversation with Lori Faria Stolars. And until next time, stay reading. Bye.